Hello, and welcome to Dodecahedron, a podcast by, for, and about role players. I'm Jess Vetters. Every week, we get together to talk about a range of gaming-related topics, from running a game to creating a character to doing all sorts of goofy-ass bullshit. My guests this week are my very lovely, very special, very wonderful GMs, Caitlin and Ryan, and I have brought them along with me to talk about romance in games. But before we get into that, why don't you two tell us a little bit about yourselves? Talk about why you're here and what you do. I'm Ryan, and I run role-playing games and play them a lot, too. I've been a GM for 17 years-ish at this point, probably starting with D&D. That's basically me and a T. Right on. Uh, I'm Caitlin. I'm currently running at least one of the campaigns Jess is in. Ryan's running the other one. Um, Ryan and I have actually been together for like close to, what is it now? 13? It'll be 13 in October. Lucky number 13 next month. Yep. And uh, because of him, I actually got into role playing and I started with kind of parlor LARPs and then my first campaigns that I really did were World of Darkness and now mm. I run the Pathfinder game, so... Now, there are a couple of things in there that I would like to grab onto. The first is, please define for us, Parlor LARP. So, basically, you know, your normal, like, normal vampire LARP, or I guess that's the most common one, actually would still run with, like, character sheets that had stats and rules on them. Right. Regular listeners will have heard Colin talking about the LARP that he runs at Gen Con, which does have, like, very set characters and still uses the systems and the stats and everything like that. Yeah, exactly. So when we're, when we refer to probably LARP in this, we're going to be specifically talking about parlor LARPs, because that's what we did for a while, which is more of a... Almost an improv acting exercise. Um, you are given a character sheet that has, like, a story background for your character. You're kind of told the situation that your character and all the other characters are in when you start. And then somebody says, go. So for people who are listening who might not have a lot of experience with traditional, let's call them, role-playing games, this is more in line with something like a murder mystery party. Except without the murder mystery bit? It depends. I've well, won at okay. least one murder mystery one. It's essentially a game that boils down to resolving conflict with the narrative logic in front of you rather than any kind of system. Okay. Uh, or a too. Right. Or the GM makes a ruling as needed. But it's fairly straightforward. It has its strengths and weaknesses. We're actually going to probably bring some of them up today because it pertains to... To the topic at hand. Yeah. Excellent. Um, but uh, we spent a lot of time doing that. And then, of course, playing a lot of other traditional games as mm -hmm. well. Yeah, so listeners will have also heard me talk about the games in which I play Rion and Staniel, also known as my Monday night games. These are my GMs for my Monday night games. Uh, you guys have provided me with pretty much my most consistent creative outlet over the last, like, three years of my life. Aww. So... Party on with that. Heck Love it. yeah. And throughout a lot of those games, we have had moments of, uh, let's call it sexy times. <laughs> Several of them have been focused around my characters because I personally am very heavily drawn to the idea of like, 
part of role-playing means exploring things outside of yourself, and part of that means exploring sexuality and romance and gender and all of that fun stuff. Mm-hmm. Now, Caitlin, I know you and I have not necessarily role-played the romances, but you've given me a lot of NPCs to <laughs> mac on. That is absolutely <laughs> true. Technically, those NPCs are free macking. You just technically usually jump on that faster than anyone else does. I, I like the macking, what can I say? <laughs> But when we get into that, I think one of the most interesting things about the way that roleplay deals with romance, at least the way that we do it in our particular games, is that a lot of it gets kind of brushed under the carpet, so to speak, mm-hmm. because we're sitting in a room with two or three or five other people, and nobody really wants to hear me narrate my weird date with the <laughs> seven-foot-tall <laughs> desert man who I am enamored with. <laughs> Just to throw in a parlor lurk thing there, uh, I did, in fact, have to roleplay an orgasm once. Didn't have to. Chose to. No, I was told that that was kind of what was happening there. You were... You you chose to. Context? <laughs> nope. Nope. Later. later Context yes. later. When we get when we start going that, down that rabbit hole, we're not going to come back out. That also that also was not romance. That was literally mind control. That was literally mind control. Oh, yeah. actually, that's a good transition to something I was hoping we were going to get to talk about. Sure. I wanted to actually, if possible, if you don't mind, no, start please. with this. this. Is this is a discussion? I have no structure from here. I on just out. think it's really important when we're talking about romance and sexuality in games. Uh, that I think, like, literally the first thing that you should talk about is, and probably one of the most important things as we talk about this further in terms of its narrative use and its application to role-playing and exploring characters and queerness and stuff. I think I know where this is going. Yep. Is gotta be consent. Yes. Consent and safety. Mm-hmm. Um, no, I feel like that's something that more obviously applies to LARP, but it's also something that you cannot discount in your sitting around the table games because you know oh what what do i need to worry about consent if i'm just talking about how i'm going to you know go and find the bar wench and bed her because i'm a charismatic nobleman or whatever but like you it get... really does because you wind up with that like that kind of x card have you talked about that on the show at all? Do we people have know what not. the X card is? I do not. Okay. Um, that's the thing that we have had a lot of friends and uh, bring to their games more often than not now. where um, Because they do a lot of gaming at a table mm-hmm. and one-shots. So they don't necessarily know everybody who's coming to sit down at their table. Interesting. And so what the X card is, is just the GM literally puts out a card with an X on it, and if something is happening in the narrative that is making a person uncomfortable, because you don't know where they're coming from, they tap the X card, and the GM will dial it back. Which is part of kind of an informed consent thing, where... For instance, in your bar wench bedding, mm-hmm. if the GM isn't comfortable exploring that, or if another player is not liking the way your character is flirting because it reminds them of something that, you know, a trigger of that sort, they can reach out, tap the X card, and that will be dialed back. I like that. That is something that we have, not in that very specific manner of methodology, but we've talked about 
like how to avoid things like that in the first place and how to talk to your players about making sure that everyone's comfortable. But that kind of helps to circumvent what could be an awkward conversation depending on who you're with. I like that. The X card. I'm also certain you... I think you did an episode about session zero and like yes. and making, you know, it's a part of session zero and there's other systems, X cards, not perfect. There's definitely things that have been discussed about it being inadequate or possibly being um, abused, able to be abused in certain ways. Mm-hmm. Um, so there's other systems as well that people have discussed and you can Google any of these lines and veils is a big one. I haven't heard about that one. That's myself. basically it. It's very straightforward. It's a session zero sort of thing where you go, everyone gets an opportunity to say, these are my lines, which means we don't, that's not in this game period. Mm-hmm. If, right on. If, if, you know, and people have complete freedom to set where their line is. If if sexual, even innuendo, is across the line for someone, that's it. And then veils is stuff where you draw a veil over it. It's okay if it's present in the narrative in some form or another, mm-hmm. indicated that it's happening, but we don't portray it. We don't show it. It never comes, quote-unquote, on screen. Yes. That makes sense to me. That... That is kind of in line with what we talked about in the Session Zero episode, where not using those particular phrases, but that same idea of, like, you get your no-goes and you get the things that are okay if they are not delved too deeply into. But, I mean, we could go on, you could have a whole episode on consent and safety systems. Oh, absolutely. In role-playing games, and there are people uh, I know who are far better informed on those systems there are applications, there are approaches, and stuff like that. Uh, and uh, some of whom are some of our old friends that you've met. Yes, absolutely. I, we, we were, Caitlin and I were just mouthing to I, each other, yeah. like, I missed oh, that. I didn't wanna, it should be this I didn't person. Say Talk that, to that person about it. Yeah. Get them on the show because they'll be great. They know a lot more about it than either of us do. Mostly because neither of us have run con games in a long time. Right. And, and they it, would probably be delighted to talk about it. Yeah. I would be delighted to have them on. Um, I'll have to send them this episode so they listen. Yeah. <laughs> We're talking about you. You know who you are. <laughs> also, I think we said their name, so. Yeah. No. No one said their name. You just mouthed it to me. Um, anyway. <laughs> anyway. So, having gotten that on the table. Yes. Yeah. Because it's important. Mm-hmm. People are emotionally... Romance and sex are emotionally charged. People respond to emotionally charged incidences in different ways. People have different things that affect them in different ways. As a caveat to all things we discuss in the rest of this episode, it pertains to sexuality and romance. I think it should be safe to say that absolutely none of this should be put on the table in your game unless everyone around you, everyone playing, everyone participating knows and has consented to it. That definitely goes along with the recurring dodecahedron theme of, like, communicate with your players and make sure everything that's going on is okay with everybody. Mm -hmm. And if you don't, I hate you. Yep. Don't be a dick. It's a pretty straightforward rule. But moving forward, like, all of the theoretical stuff we're going to discuss will be with the caveat of, yeah, yeah. it's mm-hmm. hunky-dory. Yeah. All mm-hmm. of the experiences that we might discuss, we can get into specifically when we get there. Yes, absolutely. And I'm sure we will. So before we took that fairly necessary and useful tangent, we were talking about the idea of, like role-playing romance at the table Mm -hmm. where you don't really have to worry about like 
you know, what does my romantic interest look like? Or am I actually dealing with this person or feelings of attraction to my fellow player or GM in real life? All of that goes by the wayside because this is your fantasy person talking to someone else's fantasy person. I want to discuss with you guys a couple of, uh, or I rather, I want you to discuss with me some good and bad ways you may have thought about or dealt with that or seen it done in the past. Hmm. And feel free to talk mess about me right now if you gotta. Oh, <laughs> I no, can no, handle no, it. no. I'm actually, uh, I had what I will call a successful but unfulfilled romance back in a mage game. Okay. Where it was like, over time, the two characters were like super crushing on each other, not really figuring it quite out. But the campaign wound up ending before anything came of that, Uh, which was kind of like a little sad thing. And uh, my DM knows if she's still, she's somewhere listening. Oh, yes, let's let's get that game somehow off the ground again. It would be a hilarious reunion. Oh, Um, I love that. That was that was a character um, called Anaya, who was a time fate mage. And she basically had a crush on another Cabal member who called himself Argus. Um, And it it was it was an interesting thing because, you know, um, in our personal lives, of course, we're not attracted to each other. He John was married with two kids, mm-hmm. you know. They were adorable children. I had Ryan for forever and a day at that point. But it was a fun thing to explore, like, the embarrassment of characters and, you know, and, and like, the learning curve of themselves yes. in sort of the relationship. Well, and this is something else that I'd like to touch on. We tend to roleplay, especially in games like World of Darkness, there are a lot of people who play young characters. Mm -hmm. Who are themselves full-grown adults. Mm -hmm. Like us. Mm -hmm. I don't know how many times I've played, like, a 19 to 22-year-old who is, from my perspective, getting to experience things for the first time where I'm like, yeah, no, all that shit's old hat. That was like a decade ago. Romance is a really interesting thing to explore from a young perspective after you've passed it. Mm-hmm. And I, I don't remember if your characters were young or otherwise. No, actually, but... I think Gil is my youngest character. Really? Yeah, I always tended to play characters who were, especially when I was playing Anaya, I tended to play characters who were older than myself, not necessarily hmm. the same age as me. Gil is probably, uh, and for reference, Gil is the character I play in the Eberron campaign, which Ryan runs. Um, Gil is my youngest character that I made because I basically was like, she's 18, she ran off to war, terrible, terrible idea, three years later. So, interesting. you know, she's actually, like, she is, in her own way, terrible at coping with everything, which may, I don't know if you've ever mentioned that, but Gil is terrible at coping with everything. No, we haven't gotten into that specifically. But but partially because she's so young, which is, makes some of the, uh, the other stuff interesting to discuss, because it's funny because a lot of the times when other stuff was happening, I was younger than my character. Yeah, which... 
Okay, that actually gets into another thing. Mm-hmm. Ryan, I know you and me at least, but like all of us started gaming while we were fairly young. Yeah. I was like a sophomore in high school. And my first storyteller, basically the guy who got me into World of Darkness, was four years older. And uh, that was not a particular group wherein I... So wait, what age were you exactly? Sorry, I, I'm just curious. I was curious. 15. Okay. Yeah. And I was 14. Um, and honestly, I mean, for me, in those days, romance was off the table. It was a bunch of 14-year-old dudes who were part of a youth group together in rural upstate New York. See, that's where things get a little different. I was playing World of Darkness with a surprisingly diverse group, considering where I grew up, by which I mean we had two or three girls who would regularly play, and one of them wasn't white. (laughs) Yeah, no, not for us. No, we we lived in White Bredton. Oh yeah, but like... Especially being all presumably straight young boys. Yeah. You're not really going to have the freedom to explore at least player-to-player romances. No. But where you can really get into some weirdness there is this idea of like, alright, I'm a young kid playing an adult character. What do grown-ups do? They have sex. And I mean, there was definitely the fair share of like, you know, roll the dice to see if I'm getting drunk, you know, kind of stuff. (laughs) Yes. Now Uh, we just get drunk in person. Which up to and included, you know, our half-elf barbarian narrating, you know, he was a half-elf barbarian. He gave himself 18 charisma. We were 14. That's what you do. Uh, And he was like, yeah, I got a bar wench on each knee and that would be like the extent of it i mean we were dungeon crawlers that's what we did it was that kind of gaming at the time i actually never even found out there was a other tabletop role-playing games other than D &D until i went to college Ah. um and joined the gaming club there and got introduced to world of darkness from there i spun off to a bunch of other games ultimately but um And it's interesting because I think that caused this backlash where when I first started playing World of Darkness, which was my first non-D&D tabletop game. Yeah, that's that's a thread that's pretty common for most people who have been on the show. We've almost all now at least had some experience with it. uh, Was every character I have to write has to either have some kind of immediate threatening drama related to a personal relationship with a woman that he's in love with because again mm-hmm. i was still only 18 and very straight um and uh and so it was just like this this crazy melodrama for every character every single one i wrote that was like he's in love with that and even like oh he has a secret crush on this player character because you know again 18 and dumb Uh, Oh, yeah, and especially, like, being off to college for the first time, Mm -hmm. there were, let's say, inklings of that in literally all of the groups that I ever played any role-playing games with. Yeah, yeah, like, I mean, really, like, Ryan, I I started, I think, a little bit older than you guys, Mm because I would have been 17 or 18 Mm -hmm. when I first did the parlor LARP at, um... Uh, running gag at Geneseo? Yeah. 
Uh, so I like, and I have that weird backwards go into it from everybody the, gets into it different ways. Yeah, <laughs> there you go. Um, from the you know the completely diceless to uh, World of Darkness. I almost said Warcraft. <laughs> World of Love and Warcraft. Uh, no, through World of Darkness to um, to tabletop, which did kind of influence how I made characters because. In order to keep a parlor LARP going, because there's no real rules, you have to have that melodrama. Oh, yeah. And God, did I write it badly the first time I attempted to write one I as well. I would be shocked like, if you did it well. I, I mean, no, I believe I had like, now, now, let's not even dive into that, but I know I wrote a couple of terrible, like, you know... You are crushing on this person, that person. Later, I used to use that for um, more comedic effect. Okay. Because I would go, when I was writing these things, I would go more Shakespearean, like comedy of errors. Excellent. We did an entire, Ryan and I ran an entire module we called Blood Feud, where almost every character had a twin. Either fraternal or paternal. Uh, fraternal identical. or identical. Yeah, sorry yeah, about no. that. Um, paternal twins. Paternal. They have the same father. They have. Oh, no. Yeah, but they were either fraternal or identical twins. Mm-hmm. And I specifically wrote into all of the character sheets. And this is a fun one to talk about romance, I think. Yeah. With. We did a couple comedy romance. We did, yes. Finish talking about um, this one, though. So this one was called Blood Feud, and it was like Romeo and Juliet on steroids with comedy of errors thrown in. Because the two families were absolutely hated each other. Mm-hmm. And every one of the players going in thought they were Romeo and Juliet. Because literally everybody from each oh family God. was desperately in love with oh someone from the other family. Like, and literally thought that they were going to get killed if their family found out. That is brilliant. And so what happened was... We also said, you know, since there were so many twin pairs, exactly, I had written into the background of the world that the fashion at the time, and like literally this is a one-shot world, there was nothing inspirational about it, but the only thing was, at that time, fashions were super gender neutral. So even the fraternal, uh, the yeah, the fraternal twins looked like one another. We literally slapped name tags on everybody that had two names. Okay, and, I like that a lot. And said, like, it's either one of these people. And um, at that point, we weren't really writing genderqueer characters, which, God, would have been so much more fun. Would have added module. a nice layer to it. It would have added a nice layer, but we did actually have, like, red and blue coding for, you either think it's one of these two sisters, or it could be the sister, or the brother, you know, and that sort of thing. Uh, and I think... That one worked because we kind of, the romance was part of the comedy. It was zero pressure yeah. romance because it's like, look, we're just having fun with this. Like you read this and you're like, oh my God, I'm in such a horrible um, situation. We literally used the song Oh Valencia by the Decemberance. I do love that song. To be the theme of the module. <laughs> just, just to throw people off. So I want to I want to latch on to something there, this idea of like playing romance for laughs. 
Because when it comes down to it, you can play it straight where, like, everybody wants to love somebody. Or play it as a comedy where the romance that you're building is part of the driving force of the story in a nice, silly way. Mm -hmm. When you are playing a game with the comedy aspect of the romance, how do you handle that? I think that it, what it comes down to is uh, having a certain amount of distance from it enables the comedy. Like, I don't think it's... you. Romance as comedy compared to romance for romance or romance mm. for passion or, or love doesn't really happen in the real world, does it? No. Like, that's the only aspect of it that's narratively relevant that is only in fiction. Right. So I think that it you approach it by sitting there and saying, this is... Um, uh, th this is something that is an absurd drive for my character. Like, absurd. Because mm. it's the only one, right, that there's not, like, a super concrete, like, reason for it besides your own desire. Right, you're not trying to avenge your father or steal the mighty jewel or kill the vampire lord. You're just like, I like you, be my person. Right. And in its absurdity is reflected in its, in its intensity. And it's that intensity of emotional response that drives the comedy. Now, there is something interesting about role-playing, especially LARP, but, like, any sort of role-playing. It is, you know, coming from the background that I come from, actor and a writer, I like to think of embodying the character as the truest expression of it, and all of this, like, I've really got to get into their head and live their truth, and all of this actory bullshit. But, with role-playing, there is no audience. It's a game, so mm -hmm. I am the actor and the audience at the same time. So when you said, you have to have some distance from it, my initial reaction was, oh, wait, but no. And then I thought about it for literally about two seconds and realized, yeah, because that's the only way that you can actually enjoy the goofiness. Right. Otherwise, it's just like, why am I doing this thing? Yeah. You know, you, you can't even enjoy the drama if you were actually wrapped up in some of the Oh, traumatic God, drama yes. moments, you'd be like, oh no, uh, why don't you just kill me now because well, you've ripped out my heart and stomped on it. You were talking about comedy of errors earlier. Yeah. If you actually were one of those characters, that's not a comedy. No, it no. sucks a lot. No, people would have been very upset. And I mean, you think about that applies to role-playing across the board. It's the same thing about, mm -hmm. you know, why we roll dice in D&D, it's to make sure our characters don't die. Or to see if they do. Yeah. And, you know, it's not enjoyable, but it's part of the game that we choose to involve because that's what makes the story good. So I'd like to bring us to something that I think Ryan and I had been discussing before you came over, Jess, and I think will nicely kind of wedge itself in okay. the, the discussion of tabletop also versus kind of LARP. Yeah, I'm, I'm looking at the timestamp and we're due for a subject change. <laughs> um, 
I, I think that there's a significant difference between exploring romance and sexuality in something like a campaign mm-hmm. versus something like a one-shot or a LARP. Or, uh, and, and by LARP, again, I mean parlor LARP, which usually was kind of essentially a one-shot. Right. And, again, the, just because things develop more naturally... In a game that has an extended story. Right. Like, you've got your mountain, you know, your desert man that is absolutely, you know, head over heels for you NPC. But that kind of developed over time. Right. I mean, like, in game, we've known that character for how long? Several, several months. And in real time, it's longer. Like, it's... More than a year at this point that we've had this guy kicking around in some way or another. And, like, on that same note, in that same game, yes, Rion has Kem the Mountain, but there's also a mildly brewing undercurrent of potential will-they-won't-they romance between myself and one of our other player characters, where it's, like, kind of acknowledged, but also not dealt with directly. And that has been going on for, like, two and a half years. Yeah, because it, it, and that, I think, it makes it more realistic, and it definitely measures the comfort levels of the players. Because you have time to organically get there. Yeah. Whereas Ryan and I have been in some parlor LARPs where, unfortunately, the whole romance aspect has gone utterly sideways. Now this is... I, I feel for you in that these experiences are never fun to go through, but good God, do they make good stories. I mean, it's... Yeah, it's... <laughs> yeah, they do. Yeah, we they, talked about some of them earlier yeah, as well. Literally had to dig up an eight-year-old character sheet to go and see <laughs> if uh, we had been on the same page. Because, honestly, it was a character... And this is a very particular um, uh, uh, situation. It was very unique to, I think, us. Uh, and I doubt... Other players have really experienced it. We're going to be referring to two modules that we will be calling Inglorious Bastards okay. and Downton Abbey. Because... I'm just going to say it. Being forced to play a character that's romantically partnered with your actual romantic partner sucks. Now, to be fair to the person running that game, they actually did... And Ryan doesn't recall this, but I remember I it remember. very specifically. They actually did ask us... If it was okay, if he paired us up in a romantic couple that was in the middle of a lot of tension. And that, oh. that was a thing that he had asked because he didn't want, he would switch who we were playing if we were uncomfortable with that. And that was also specifically because we had, uh, there are other players in that circle that have absolutely forbid them that the, the, particular game master from putting them in couples together in game they're like we don't like that it every time it just kind of makes us feel awkward it breaks immersion etc etc yeah i Um, think that's a super fair line to have yeah it is a very fair line and uh, like honestly i this is a quick tangent i don't think ryan nevada and i have ever like successfully played a romantic couple in a game that we're in It's tricky to do if you are actually romantically involved. Yeah. 
Um, so very briefly, the reason why we call them um, the Inglorious Bastards module and the Downton Abbey module is mm-hmm. literally the first module is like the first scene in Inglorious Bastards, where we're harboring people that essentially Nazis want to kill and we are being held captive at the table. And the second one was the Game Master was inspired by Downton Abbey to write the whole module. So there was like some ridiculous second storyline with the servants that everybody playing in it really hated because there was no actual impact they could have on the story. But that's a Ah. different subject. So in the first one, Ryan and I were playing a couple... We argue on the point whether or not, because we couldn't find those character sheets, on the point whether or not the the characters were engaged to be married or were just had been together for a really long time at that point. But um, there was a strain on the relationship because it was essentially a war society. And your character, Kendall? Kendall, yeah. Kendall wanted to go off to war... And my character was essentially like, no, you need to stay here and stay with the family. Aha. And the whole situation was like, he wanted to go off to war for, you know, the allied side, the non-Nazi side. I would hope so. Yeah. So, please, you're making... Oh, no, no. So, like, that that (laughs) was the situation. Yeah, no, I'm sorry. I thought I was cutting you off. No, no, not at all. I just tell the story. It's fine. So, like, and that was a lot of tension between us um, because, you know, the characters were not only having a tense backstory kind of situation, Mm -hmm. but the situation of sitting at the table trying to protect essentially Jewish people from the Nazis was also not really good. (laughs) That's, um, that's a really intense in- to a story. Yeah, it was all around that module actually really disturbed a lot of people. It was a poor module. I'm not even going to split hairs. It was actually one of the first modules that opened my eyes to what we talked about at the beginning of the episode, the need for consent Yeah, yeah. in a module. We were apparently, I don't remember, asked. You, you said we were. I we believe were you. That... I definitely it was eight years ago. I don't. I don't remember. Man, I can't remember where I was in physical space eight years ago. Right. Yeah. Um. But there was other sexually charged incidences. We were asked because we were a couple, and he wanted to know, and the the GM wanted to know if we were okay playing together. There were other incidences in that module with characters written with either lust, attraction, or oh no, it was it was nasty lust. It was. I mean. There was not just that one incident, though. There was one that really, really screwed some things up that no one consented to. And all of a sudden, you had people in really bad places that literally had to walk out of the game. Yeah, because there was theoretically a... There's theoretically a no-touching rule in this particular parlor LARP, and that is the single most broken fucking rule in terms of it does not get enforced in any way, shape, or form properly. And that's, again, why... Ryan wanted to open this with the consent conversation. Well, and I think that, and I I don't want to cut you off from talking more, but I do, before we get to the end of the episode, want to talk about what people can do when a romance in a game goes bad. And I feel like 
part of what you were talking about, we'll get to that. So mm-hmm. we'll we'll come back to this later. Mm-hmm. And and so the fallout from that module um, essentially winds up with Ryan's character, Kendall, leaving to go to the war. And apparently, which I didn't kind of realize, um, winds up uh, with the couple breaking up entirely. Oh. Yeah, so here's where things get really awkward. Uh, The following module that Ryan played Kendall in, I was playing a completely different character, and they apparently were having a slippery slope kind of romance. And I'm sitting there going, but wait, I thought my character from the other module, like when he came back to war, from war, she would be waiting. So I had this super torn... And this is why we don't know if one-shot romances really work. Yeah. That was a super weird situation. Because Ryan wound up in this situation where I was almost be- I was being obstructionist to a major storyline in his character background because I had all these hang-ups from the previous module. Right. Because if you're still at all invested in the other character, the- this new one is at odds to what you were doing before. Mm-hmm. I think the to get to the kind of idea of focusing on the actual role-playing technique and right, approaches right. to romance, um, the, the, the biggest thing that I think that we need to actually talk about, um, and just to use an example of another, um, another LARP we were in that was Star Trek-themed, um, where I was basically put into the position of being a romantic opposite to a character who didn't portray that at all. Um, Fun. You have to... You can't control what another person is doing in a game. This is true. You can... All you can do is be frank with them about what is and is not working and if you're being made uncomfortable or not. Um... And obviously there's an extent to which we want to maintain immersion and we want to maintain consistency and we want to maintain this sense of narrative continuance. And if you sit there and you go, this character is in a relationship with or is romantically attracted to or is in love with or whatever, uh, and then you find yourself in a situation where due to the course of play or because of something else that happened or because of circumstances within the narrative uh, that is either not working or doesn't make sense or is generally bad, like you said. A bad romance. A bad romance. It goes sideways. I know which one you're talking about. Um, you really only have two options. Uh, I chose what I think is the worst one. Oh, good. Which is to say, oh my god, my partner has gone insane. <laughs> to be fair, the way that character was portrayed well, that's was the... like she went but... insane, and then later on, two modules down the line, she was portrayed as that shit crazy. So this actually brings me to <laughs> what I said before we started the episode, which is my thesis statement. Uh-huh. My thesis statement for this podcast is going to be... Romance in role-playing games is hard, and it's harder when it's not planned. Um, I don't want to say bad, 
I just want to say hard because I believe that it can theoretically work. I don't have an example of it working. I just don't have one. Mm-hmm. I've had a lot. And, and in this case, I felt a little bad for the player after the fact, even though it was their own fault. Uh, because my character's character sheet said, you're attracted to this person. They're beautiful. They're sexy. And you have been sleeping with them regularly. Didn't know that before I got the character, but I was like, all right, I can work with this. The person's a friend of mine. I like them well enough. I can play this out over a LARP that took the most, the best, better part of an evening, six hours. First time I encountered them, their ability to portray romantically attracted to or mutually attracted to was limited. Um, and so as a result, my character, I, I completely internalized it. I just embodied what my character's reaction would be to this behavior of course which meant i was like oh my god something's wrong and it spun off literally an entire plot about her getting sucked into an ai and being reprogrammed and creating an artificial holographic reality wherein we were all tormented by our deepest darkest desires yeah i'm glad i didn't have to spend a lot of time trapped in that yeah that was not fun um But that's literally what happened, because instead of opening up channels with the GM and saying, hey, this isn't working, can we do something else? I tried to be Mr. I am, I'm gonna... You you tried to roll with it. I tried to roll with it, and... And also, we could have opened channels up with the other player, honestly. We could have, yeah. And there are times since that where we have literally either walked up to a GM or, like, taken another player aside and said, hey, da-da-da-da-da. Yeah. And, uh, yeah... I mean, that that touches once again on our recurring theme of just fucking talk to each other, right. people. Oh, God. And I think hammering that in is this is the type of thing in a game where it's way more important than almost anything else that you talk to people. Oh, yeah. absolutely. Well, I mean, two of the things that people like to get in their escapist fantasies are sex and violence mm-hmm. because those things are fairly restricted in how you can engage with them in the real world. When it comes to role-playing, that's about as escapist fantasy as it gets. You are almost literally pretending to be another person, mm-hmm. even if you're just sitting around at couches around a table. But sex and violence are taboo for a reason. They make people uncomfortable, and you don't want to make your presumably friends or at least colleagues uncomfortable. Mm -hmm. Very true. That's a weird note to end on, but we are pretty much running out of time. (laughs) Uh, Yeah, I can't think of anything that would be like a quick little, oh, here's a note to end on a high note. I mean, I feel like I've been overwhelmingly negative, but we've all watched enough shows where we've done our fair share of shipping or experienced narratives where we sit Mm -hmm. there and we go, part of our ability to enjoy this show leverages or hinges on our emotional satisfaction with a romance in the narrative. So romance can be a great thing. It absolutely can. And it's a narrative tool that deserves its day in the sun. It absolutely deserves to be in your game. So take this as a, basically, hey, this is a really dangerous tool, but it's super useful. Just be careful with it. Like a Sawzall. Yes. That's not where my head was at. I was thinking more lightsaber. 
I mean, yeah, that that fits in more with the. Uh, and now he's just making lightsaber noises. <laughs> so, if you have anything to say about romancing games, whether you should or shouldn't do it, or any time that it's worked or not worked for you, you can send those in to us. We get emails at dodecapodcast at gmail.com. You can also tweet at us at podcastdodeca. And then we're also on Facebook and Instagram and Tumblr. All of those are Dodeca Podcast. Hey, Caitlin. Yeah. If somebody wanted to send an email into the podcast with a suggestion for a topic or whatever, where would they send that? I was not paying nearly enough attention. Ryan? Dodecapodcast at gmail.com. Damn straight. Yeah, I remembered a thing. And if you want to follow us on Twitter, where would you send that follow to? That's podcast, Dodeca. Yes, it is! (laughs) Uh, Speaking of at Podcast Dodeca, this is not something that I ever really ask on these things, but I have been informed that I should. Please, if you like what you hear, whether you listen to us on iTunes or Google Play or Spotify or just on our website... Go to wherever you get it and rate the podcast. That really helps us grow. It puts us in front of more people and share and we'll do more fun episodes like this. So, any final thoughts in these last couple of seconds? Uh, Just that our cat has been super cooperative and hasn't tried to murder you a single time. Good job, This is the nicest he's ever been to me. So, that, I believe in a thing called love. From all of us here at Dodeca Podcast, Dodecahedron, whatever we call ourselves, thank you for listening, and we look forward to seeing you on our next adventure.